you're tired of spending money on trail cameras you use as tools only to find out they're built like freaking toys or you've struggled with unreliable not so dependable cameras or experienced customer service that flat out disappointed you i've been there those problems literally birthed exodus eight years ago when they shipped their first camera exodus had a clear desire to not only build elite products that enabled you to set it and forget it all season long but also to back them like no other company was willing to with an unmatched level of customer service and support. See for yourself why Exodus has over 15,000 satisfied customers. They've quickly become known for their five-year no BS warranty, quality cameras, and best-in-class customer service. You heard that right. Exodus believes in their products so much, every single camera is backed by a five-year warranty that includes theft and accidental damage coverage. Each camera is checked for quality control standards before it leaves the warehouse. They wouldn't use it, you don't get it. Exodus is so confident you'll love your new Exodus camera. They're offering you, the listener of this show, 15% off your next order today. Just use code BTE. If you don't love it, get your money refunded in the first 30 days and just send her back. Exodus really has two excellent cell cam options for uh, all budgets, and they start at just $179 plus your 15% off there. You use the code BTE. They have competitive data plans that allows you to purchase a plan and use the data as you see fit. They want you to be in control. There's no annual commitment and no limit on how many cameras you can run on one plan. You can share cameras with friends, no charge, which makes the Exodus lineup a great option for hunting clubs and leases. There are no additional fees for HD photo requests. That's pretty nice. No additional fees for video uploads. And all cameras share data on a single data plan for easy management. See for yourself why so many have made the switch to Exodus and experienced Exodus difference. Use code BTE to get 15% off your next order today. Now let's talk about Osseo gear. It's a great option for whitetail hunters. They develop a premium line of bow hunting gear that will rival any other clothing on the market in quality. Plus, you got a lifetime warranty on anything you buy from Osseo, which is pretty nice. They have a super unique camo pattern and great technology in their garments to keep you comfortable in the stand. So visit asiogear.com get you some premium hunting clothing. Also, I want to talk about Hunting Beast gear makers of the beast stand and beast sticks in my opinion the best option for a mobile hunter that's looking to pound the public land or just hop around on your private land i don't hardly worry about permanent stands anymore on the uh, few pieces of private i do have i just use that beast stand and sticks and i got so good with putting it up uh, taking it up and down i really feel comfortable using it in any scenario whatsoever you haven't had the experience of getting your hands on a beast stand and trying it out for yourself go to beastgear.com get your pre-order in for the stand order you some sticks and become more deadly this deer season speaking of deadly gotta talk to you about stealth outdoors makers of stealth strips which is a great addition to any beast stand that you're going to buy the beast sticks an addition. It's a great addition for all kinds of stuff. I just put some on my bow the other day. Stealth strips really are a, a product that any hunter, whether you're a weekend warrior, 
or a guy that hunts almost every day really needs to take advantage of. Stuff absolutely deadens your, your gear uh, to make it essentially uh, noise-free. If you haven't checked out Stealth Strips yet, stop buying all the other crappy alternatives like the hockey tape and any other stuff you're trying to use to silence your gear. Get the good stuff. Get Stealth Strips. Visit StealthOutdoors.com. Pick you up the Stealth Strips. All my partners are linked in the description below. Go check them out. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. We are a, uh, a bit earlier than we usually are, um, and we're, uh, we're not on Thursday night. So uh, pretty good turnout, though, so far. Uh, we got Andy May on the, on the show tonight. How's it going, Andy? It's going good, Josh. I appreciate good. you asking me to come on. Good. Yeah, no problem. Um, yeah, happy to have you anytime. Dan is hunting, everybody. So uh, as you can imagine, he won't <laughs> be on tonight. Um, so Andy, is uh, he's kind of known for being a very efficient deer hunter, and that's kind of what we wanted to talk about tonight. I know a lot of people that listen are that working class guy that has a family, and, and Andy's one of those hunters that's really dialed in his, his uh, skills and and uh, toned his deer hunting in a, in a manner where he he can uh, year after year get on deer pretty quick. Andy, I think now, nah, man, I'm I'm kind of just going off memory here. I think I heard you maybe say on a podcast or or maybe someone maybe figured it up somehow that you uh, usually kill a buck every about every fourth sit or something like that. Uh, or is that it, what one year you did that or something like that? Yeah, you know it there's been several years where I've kind of like tallied up the amount of sits that I actually, you know, hunted the actual time in a tree or actually the act of hunting, yeah. with, you know, and compared it to the, the bucks that I've killed. And yeah, a lot of times it's, um, you know, it's in that, uh, I would say more closer to like five, six, seven hunts, you know, per kill. It seems like, um, certainly, there are years where it doesn't go that way, sure. but, uh, it, it, it seems like if I kind of hunt my style and I've done my homework and I've done my scouting, um, my sits tend to be, um, pretty efficient. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't always kill the buck, but I often get the encounter. Um, sometimes I make a mistake. Sometimes the buck does something I'm not expecting. Sometimes other deer bust me, you know, things go wrong, but yeah, it, it, it's, there's been a, you know, a few years where I've had, you know, a dozen, you know, 14, 15, 16 sits and killed, you know, four bucks, you know, three, four bucks. So it, it tends to kind of come out like that, but I think that's just because of my style. My style is not to volume hunt. I can't do it if I wanted to, but right. I used to hunt like that, but not, not anymore. Yeah. And I, and I've gotten real um, focused on that too, because uh, you know, obviously, I, I do have this show and stuff, and it's one of the ways I make a living. But like, I have one kid and getting ready to have two, and then uh, you know, I have two other businesses I run outside of the hunting industry. So like, time is kind of valuable um, to me as well. So this topic super interested interesting to me. I did very good last year on my efficiency, but this yeah. year. We're, uh, we're, we've been in out of state three times and we're over three on bucks. So <laughs> this year's not going, it may be one of those years where my odds or my, uh, my bucks to sits ratio goes up a little bit. 
Um, yeah. Something else. Uh, oh yeah. Those, those, uh, those out of state early season hunts, they can be, they can be so good, but they can be real challenging, especially if you put yourself in an area where, you know, you're not able to, to observe and utilize glass and, and, uh, yeah. you know, the, you got the weather and, and different things like that can throw a wrench in things early like that. So, well, yeah, I've that, certainly had years like that too, or, you know, I, I struggle. Um, but yeah, I've been real impressed with your, you know, I've been kind of following from afar and, you know, I don't get on, on the hunting beast, uh, anymore, but I, I try to watch some of the videos when I can. And, um, even tuned into like some of the live shows you guys, like when I work out and stuff, I'll listen to them and been real impressed with your, with your hunting and your efficiency traveling out of state. It reminds me a lot kind of, of the way I hunt, you know, you try to get it done around home and then you're out seeking other adventures, you know, and, and, and trying not to be gone too long from the family and, um, you know, trying to be as efficient as possible and you've been doing really well. Yeah. I've, I've, uh, like I said, last year was good and I appreciate that. It's, it's nice I, where I live in Indiana too. Like I'm a few hours from Ohio. I'm a couple hours from, um, Illinois and, uh, Kentucky. Of course I live right, you know, I can be in public land in Kentucky in an hour. So I do have some quick week, like long weekend places I can shoot to real quick. Kind of like you are with Ohio and, and Michigan up there. Have you ever hunted yep. Indiana? Have you messed around Indiana much? Yep. I've hunted down in Owen County. Okay. Yeah. Are you down yeah. that way? I, yeah, I'm in Jackson County. So I'm, I'm right between Louisville and Indianapolis essentially. Okay. Yeah. I've hunted down in uh, kind of that Southern portion, um, a couple times, killed some bucks down there. Um, I just love it down there. In fact, um, my best friend, my, my, my hunting partner, um, you know, he's kind of the, the first guy I call when I, you know, shoot a buck and he's, he's the guy that I trust to come out and, and track with me. And, uh, he's, he's always my go-to guy. Um, unfortunately he just moved from Michigan and moved down to Indiana. He's from there originally. So he's back down there, um, kind of around Indianapolis, but he's going to be hunting down where we used to hunt down in, down in Owen County. So I don't know, I might make a trip down there this year, maybe next year. Um, yeah. Well, beautiful country. Yeah, it is. We're, well, we're blessed with a lot of public land too. I mean, yeah. huge or national, you can, you could spend a lifetime in there, you know? Yep. Um, anyway, people are saying we lost all sound. Is that true guys? Or is that someone else's, uh, issue? Cause I think it looks good on my end. Okay. Never mind. It must've been Justin's issue. Cause he said it's back. <laughs> um, Andy, let's, let's, uh, Oh, one more. What was I, there's something else I was going to talk to you before we got into the, Oh, I hunted with my saddle uh, this entire trip in Wisconsin. I know you you kind of helped me pick out a saddle earlier this year. Yeah, what'd you think? Um, I I like how it's a lot more compact to carry around. Obviously, I mean, there's yeah. a lot less material there, right? Yeah. Um, comfort wise, I didn't really have an issue with it. Which I before the beast stand came out, I hunted with a saddle for about three years, and I used I honestly used uh, the old uh, sit drag like homemade deal is what i used uh so it was yeah. a big improvement from that oh yeah <laughs> the only thing that i was getting anxiety about was shooting from you know that right side for me because i'm right-handed i was getting anxiety in the stand about like okay how am i gonna freaking like am i gonna turn this way am i gonna go over this and I, that that drove me a little bit crazy yeah 
uh, and you got to like, when you set your setting up, it seemed like you always have to be thinking kind of opposite of what you would in the tree stand. Um, just because I was trying to set up with the, you know, the tree between me and the, where the deer was coming from. And, yep. um, but I did, I did enjoy the, the packability, especially going through swamps and, um, some of those tamarack swamps where there's, you're busting through trees and brush and all that. It was kind of nice. Yeah. Um, but we'll see. I just, I just want to, uh, We'll talk about versatility a little bit later on in this show, but I want to be a little more versatile. And I, I really got away from the the saddle thing. And there was times throughout the last few years that I wish I'd had it in certain areas. Um, sure. Yeah. I, I use both. Um, you know, I'm not a hundred percent saddle guy by any means, but most of the time that's what I grab because I don't, uh, you know, a lot of times I don't know exactly where I'm going to set up. And I, that's the tool I like to have in that situation, but there are certainly trees and certain areas and, and certain setups where I know, like maybe I have a tree prepped or picked out and I know it just sets up better for a stand. Yeah. And take, uh, you know, I'll take a, a light hang on like the B stand or, or, um, I have another, another light one that's a little smaller. Um, but I usually take one of those two. Um, and, and I, you know, I, I don't, I, I almost, I'm a little more comfortable as far as my back, um, in the saddle. I feel like I can move my back. I, I have a bad back. It tends to get stiff when I'm not, when I'm not moving around. So I, I can yeah. kind of move a little more. Um, I mean, I could do that in a tree stand too, but just kind of sitting, you know, sitting that long, um, can kind of get my hips and stuff a little tight. But I I also feel almost a little more comfortable shooting out of a tree stand. Yeah. You know, uh, just just a little. I shoot fine out of saddle. I've never had an issue, really. But, um, you know, if I had one out there, maybe a little further, um, you know, kind of maybe towards the end of my effective range or something, I'd rather be seated and have a really good, solid base, similar similar to when I shoot in the backyard and I'm kind of standing on level ground. Yeah. You know, because when you're when you're in that saddle on your back a little bit, you are using a little bit more trunk stability and core, mm-hmm. and and you know that's just more muscle activation, and you're not going to hold quite as steady. It's never affected my shots, but if if I had to make a tough shot, I would rather do it in a tree stand. Yeah, and I I uh, I kind of had that same feeling because you know, of course, when you're sitting up there, you're thinking about scenarios of deer coming in, and then I. There's a few times where I'm like, okay, I can, of course, I'm trying to relearn all this stuff in the saddle too. So I'm like, okay, I can kind of lean this way, but then I'm like, I feel my balance where I'm kind of wanting my gravity to pull me somewhere. And I'm thinking, man, how am I going to do that? Pulling a bow back and, you know, and there's ways I know, and, you know, I've worked on getting a knee in the tree and all that kind of thing, but. Yeah. You'll get more comfortable with it and uh, you'll get more comfortable with it. I did some testing in the backyard. I'll, I'll get on a tree and I'll shoot far, you know, like. I'll shoot a hundred yards at my target and I can still put them in there with the saddle. It just, it just takes a little more, you know, I'm, I'm probably a little less steady. Yeah. Um, you know, and the more you do it, it, it's, I probably don't do as good of a job, like practicing out of the saddle as much as I should. Like I yeah. do it, but most of the summer I'm on flat ground. I'm doing a lot more like stuff on my knees and half kneel stuff that I would encounter out West. Yeah. You know, not as much in the tree of the saddle. So I, I got to do a better job of 
making sure I get my reps out of there, but you definitely can do it. You'll get more comfortable with it. Yeah. It's just one of those, I was, I was just thinking about, you know, what I liked about it and didn't like about it. And that was kind of one of them, but I definitely, the comfort thing was good and the, um, packability. Yeah. And that's an obvious one, but, yep. uh, you want to talk about, uh, being efficient at your hunter now, Andy? Sure. Let's do it. <laughs> well, we told everybody we talk about, um, so you wrote an article for hunt better. Uh, it's been a while back ago and I, I read it. Um, it was called becoming a more efficient hunter and you kind of hit on three different, uh, points that you wanted to make. And I thought we would just go through there tonight. And then if anybody has questions for Andy, we got about an hour, we got it until about seven fifteen Eastern time before Andy has to hop off here. Um, so, uh, if we have some time, then we can answer questions. So as usual, just leave them in the, in the comment section and I'll, I'll find them and, and we'll uh, get to those tonight if we can. Um, Andy, you, your first point in that article was to scout more than you hunt. And, and, you kind of mentioned that you try to find places that are above uh, like a 25% success rate in your, in your mind um, when you're, you're, you're scouting. So how, how much, like if you could put it in to numbers, how much more do you scout than you hunt? Um, well, so to me, scouting is, um, you know, what we think is traditional scouting, like on foot, boots on the ground, going in, reading sign, breaking down country, um, checking trail cameras, because I utilize trail cameras too, um, and then glassing. Uh, you still got me, you're kind of glitching. Can you hear me? Okay? Yeah, you're, you're, you're good. Keep going. I can hear you fine. Your video is glitching a little bit, but your, your sound's fine. You're good. Okay. Yeah. So um, utilizing those three things as, as scouting. Um, gosh, I don't know. I, I mean, way more, way, way, way more than I actually hunt. So, yeah, I mean, you got, you know, say the season ends, right. You got, you know, January, February, March, like I'm out there tons of boots on the ground, you know, checking spots, uh, you know, when the snow melts, kind of going through areas, looking for a good rut sign, looking for bedding, you know, all the normal stuff. And I kind of carry that you know, even through the summer. And then when you get kind of into more like later summer or early fall, like as the, the season is approaching, I do a lot of glassing um, in areas that, it, you know, it sets up well for that. But I'm also running a lot of cameras too. So, um, and then you get into season and, you know, hopefully I've done my homework prior to the season and I got an early season buck to go after. I mean, that's, that's goal number one for me with my scouting leading up to the season is to find an early season buck to go after one in Ohio, one in Michigan. And I've been able to do that every year for the last, you know, several years. I don't always get them, but I always have a play, um, you know, and it, it, it takes work on my end, you know, more scouting leading up to and trying to get that one hunt, you know, Mm-hmm. And as, as the season uh, starts and then we're, we're into the season, I, I don't have the ability, nor do I really have the desire to um, hunt every day. Um, I, I don't, I don't want to be away from my family. Um, you know, I have, I'm in a, a long-term relationship and that's super important to me. I love spending time with her. I have a daughter that's just starting high school and she is very much involved in volleyball 
and basketball, um, which both fall right in the hunting season. And I don't like to miss those games. Um, and so I, I'm very picky and choosy about when I hunt. Um, so what I like to do is I like to scout using those three methods, gathering information so that when I do choose to hunt, it's a high percentage sit. So, um, sometimes I will sit like a, just an observation sit, but I, I count that as like a glassing session, yeah. you know? Um, but, it, but that is like, you're going out and you're actually spending an evening away. Um, but what I'm trying to do basically is I'm trying to, to gather information either with my eyes, um, you know, seeing a buck do something, observe, you know, bump a buck up, seeing fresh signs, something that tells me that, you know, a, a buck is here, a buck that I want to hunt is here now. This is what he's doing. And it gives me the confidence to go in there and, uh, and throw a sit at it. You know, and then I'm all, always kind of checking cameras, moving cameras around in season two. I count that as scouting. I'm doing that, you know, sometimes in the morning, sometimes at my lunch. I've even done it after dark, um, you know, whenever I can find time. Um, and then I'm kind of always glassing between where I hunt in southern Michigan and where I hunt in northern Ohio. There's some opportunity there to to do some glassing and capitalize on something. Um, so I always have my spotting scope. I always have my binoculars in the car. Most of the time, um, what I've found with these, with these older deer is like, I got to get out of the vehicle. You know, they're, they're usually over a rise or they're behind like a standing cornfield somewhere where you can't glass from the road. I think that, I think a lot of guys do that and they, they catch on to that really quick. So I tried that for a lot of years, just cruising roads and it, it didn't really pay off, but it started paying off more when I would get off the road, kind of get back and to see a little hidden corner, a little low spot. That's when I started picking them up more with the glass. So, um, my style has just kind of, you know, back when I was younger, like in my twenties, when I didn't have kids, you know, I, I was in relationships on and off, but you know, I did hunt nearly every day of the season, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I do think that that, I do think that, um, that was an important phase of my hunting career to develop some um, experience, develop some skills and make a ton of mistakes. Yeah. You're just hunting all the time and you're seeing so much and you're trying different things and you're, you're making those mistakes and you're learning. Um, and then I was able to, you know, when I had my daughter, I was able to tone it back a little bit and still have success and still build on that. And then it's just been a lot of years of, of, um, you know, of working on that and, and trying to become a better shooter, a more efficient scouter, um, trying to pick these, you know, the spot within the spot, getting better at that so that my sits are more dialed in and more, more detailed and more of like an efficient strike rather than kind of go into the woods and, oh, this is a nice saddle, you know, um, you know, I got some oaks over here. I, I, I think I'll sit for the night. Like I don't hunt that way. Um, so it's, it's, it's really more morphed into, um, gathering, trying to gather info the best I can. Um, and then when I feel confident, um, when I feel confident that there is a deer there that I want to go after, and I think I have enough information where I feel like, yeah, like a 25% chance or more that I'm going to get the encounter. That's when I'll go in. 
And a caveat to that, what I'll say is um, where I where I might vary from that is obviously during the rut um, where I'll just, you know, I'm going to hunt and I'm going to spend time in an area where I know a, a, a buck that I want to hunt is, you know, rutting, you know, like in that area. And I'll put myself in a good terrain funnel or a good pinch or something and just kind of plant my butt there and put in some time or just a general area where there's a lot of does and it, it tends to draw some, you know, a lot of bucks and there's some decent bucks in the area and I'll put in my time there. And I just, I kind of bounce around, but I guess that's the kind of short and sweet of it, of how I'm more efficient. I think a lot of guys would be more efficient if they did that. Yeah. But I understand, I understand why guys want to be out there all the time because there's a lot of times where I want to be out there and I just can't but it's, it's kind of more of a necessity and kind of more of a priority thing for me with where I'm at in life right now with my family and, and kids and stuff. Yeah. And I think we all go, go through that. I mean, I was, I mean, you described my twenties in a nutshell was just, I just hunted all, all the time, yeah. you know, yeah. I think you, like you said, I think it's a good point. Like you are fine tuning your woodsmanship skills in the, in those years really. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was going to ask you too, is, you mentioned moving trail cameras around in season. Could you yep. kind of elaborate on that a little bit? And like what, uh, I guess I had like a whole bunch of things going through my mind about uh, like how you've seen deer react to those cameras, moving them around um, during season. And it, has that affected your hunting and things like that? But yeah. I don't know if you could elaborate a little bit on how you yeah. utilize that. I'm not, uh, I'm not the type of guy that runs a lot of cameras. Like I've been listening to some guys lately, um, some really good hunters and I'm, um, I think they utilize trail cameras a lot, lot more than I do. Um, I run anywhere from, I mean, I guess it's a lot anywhere from eight to 12. Um, yeah. you know, so I, I feel like anymore that's kind of on the low end. <laughs> um, yeah. but, uh, you know, like kind of in the summer I have them in, you know, in likely, like, you know, normal spots, uh, you know, creek crossings, water holes, um, I'll put them on some like summer food sources, um, that kind of thing. And then I usually transition them into uh, areas where I know or that I anticipate that they're going to shift to. A lot of times I, a lot of times I use scrapes um, just because they do tend to be the best thing that I have found to uh, just kind of accumulate a good inventory. Um so I, I like to use those and I'll, I'll make my own if I have to, if there isn't one where I want it. Um, but if there is, I'll, I'll use that. Basically, um, when I'm moving cameras around, I, my style is two, twofold. I'll put cameras out and I'll let them soak the whole year um, in certain spots, like in a funnel or on a scrape or near a doe bedding area or something, or, you know, just a really good spot where a lot of trails kind of cross. And I, I put them there and I just leave them more uh, for a learning purpose, like for, you know, years down the road. And then the other way is I like to put them in spots that I can get into um, fairly easy without interrupting, without spooking the deer on the, maybe on the interior of the property in the bedding. Um, and then I rely on my previous scouting or my map reading to um decide where to hunt or what my next step is so I, i'm not i don't always I, it's not that i don't but i don't typically put them like 
where I want to hunt um, or like where a, a tree stand is or where I plan on hanging a, a stand or saddle. Um, I've done it. I will do it if it has, you know, if it's one of those things where it's like, you know, maybe I go in and I, and I check it and, uh, you know, if there's something good on it or I hunt and then I pull it when I'm done, something like that. I, I have done that, but that's not, I wouldn't say that's typical for me. I like to have them more on the perimeter. A lot of times I'll have them, you know, sometimes on a field edge, not always, but sometimes like on a, an interior scrape or something where I, I don't have to penetrate too far to where I think the deer are. Um, so I'm pretty cautious about that. Um, but it just depends, you know, it really depends on the situation. Sometimes I have them in there a little more in a little more sensitive area if I really want that information and I'm just more picky about when I go and check it. Um, you know, and sometimes I, I will, I'll just go in there and, and maybe read the sign on the way in and decide if I'm going to hunt or go further, or, uh, you know, or maybe check it and then decide. But, um, I, I am kind of moving them around. I, I don't spend a lot of time on it, um, uh, with the, with the cameras. I don't like to hunt off of cameras, but I do like to use them as a tool. And there was a, there was a couple of years ago, I think it was two, two or three years ago, I was really struggling in Michigan to find any three-year-old, like any, even three-year-old buck to go after, um, like of, of any class, of any antler class. Yeah. <laughs> just, it was one of those years that was just like unbelievable. Um, I think we had a big gun kill and not a lot of deer survived and it was just i was covering four different counties and couldn't find a 115 inch buck um and uh that's not that abnormal that's kind of on the extreme end but there's years where it's it's like that to find very few um and i started putting more cameras out i think i had my whole basically camera arsenal out maybe even bought a few extra extra ones and I got into this kind of habit of, you know, I felt like I needed to spread this net so far and wide. I got in this habit of like, I was kind of checking cameras more than I was doing what I'm good at. Yeah. Um, and I, and I was telling Justin Wright about this. Um, he's from the beast. Some of the guys will remember Justin. And I was like, dude, this, this sucks, man. I'm like, I'm not even hunting the, what the way I'm, the way I like to hunt. And I'm not doing what I'm best at. So I started kind of letting some of those go. I still utilized the cameras. I still checked some of them, but I started, you know, just going back to the basics boots on the ground. And, you know, eventually I got into something and, and ended up killing a, a real nice buck here in Michigan. But there, there was a, a phase there where I got into a little, you know, just a little, this little style of like running cameras and checking cameras yeah. and driving cameras more than I was actually using my woodsmanship. And I know a lot of guys that hunt that way and it's just not for me. You know, I don't, I don't really enjoy that that much, but I do cameras. I just didn't want to rely on them like that. Yeah. People, people definitely really get attached to their camera cameras and getting a photo of a, a mm -hmm. deer. And, um, it is, it's a tough trap to uh, avoid if you're running cameras too. Uh, Cause you want, you want it so bad for there to be a big buck on that camera to chase after, you know, and if there's not, it just, dis, it, it's disheartening. And I, I think yeah. I learned a lot, a lot last year. Cause um, when I was hunting out of state, I didn't really run any cameras at all. And yeah. I got on deer and it, it like really boosted my confidence. I'm like, okay, I don't, 
this doesn't need to be a crutch. You know, I'm, I still use them, you know, for sure. Uh, and they're a great tool, but, uh, it's, it's something that a lot of, a lot of people go through. Does, I was going to, this is a question I had for you. If you had to give up glassing or trail cameras, which one would it be? Yeah. You're, you're kind of breaking up there. Can you hear me? Oh, okay. Yeah. Can you hear, can you hear me now? Yeah, I got you. Okay. If, yeah. if you had, if you had to give up, uh, your glassing or your trail cameras, which one would you give up? Oh, um, mm, gosh, <laughs> that's a tough one. I, I enjoy glassing way more, um, yeah. but it, it, it's not an effective tactic in every situation where I think trail cameras, you know, are, um, but honestly, I, I would, if trail cameras got banned tomorrow, I, I would be very happy. Yeah. Um, I think it, I honestly, I think it could save hunting. Um, uh, I don't know. It, it, it kind of goes both ways. Um, the technology road we've get, we're getting real advanced here. We're getting really good at killing big deer. Um, but at the same time, I think trail cameras save some deer too, you know, cause then you, oh, yeah. you kind of know, you know, Hey, there's a big four-year-old buck out there and it, it helps. It makes it easier to pass those, you know, two and three-year-old bucks. So there, there's some benefit there. I don't know, man. <laughs> I, I guess I'd have to give up glassing just because I can't use that everywhere, but I certainly, yeah. I certainly observation, um, glassing, observing from a stand, um, you know, uh, and then moving in on something that I, that I see has, I think, I don't know. It's led to a lot of kills. Um, the trail cameras have two though, you know, trail cameras have two. So it's hard to, hard to say there, but yeah. you asked the question earlier if I thought, um, trail cameras affected deer and yeah, I, I have seen that, you know, I've seen it multiple times where, you know, I'll put, I'll put these cameras like on a scrape and, and maybe a little more sensitive area. And, and it's like, there might be eight out of 10 deer that, that go by it and, you know, they see the camera flash or whatever, and they don't even care. And then you get that one mature buck come in and, you know, he looks right at the camera and then I never get a picture of him again. So I, I, I definitely have made that mistake of kind of setting them too low and, and uh, kind of like not not hiding them enough. So now I try to take way more care in, into really making them difficult to notice. You know, putting them up higher, putting them more you know in, in a shadow or at a at an angle maybe where they're not coming in and facing it. Um, but man, those 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 older bucks are so attentive. They're really good at picking that up. Yeah, I was uh, down in Tennessee earlier this year, and there was a guy down there I met. And his job is to, he manages like property for like rich people, essentially, you yeah. know, like they, they want him, they, they have, they hire him to put all the tree stands up, run all the cameras. And so he has like, he's a very like OCD, uh, very, uh, very tentative person. And, yeah. uh, he got to talk to me about trail cameras and he runs a bunch of them all throughout the that Southern, you know, uh, Tennessee and come some of the surrounding States for these property owners. Yeah. And, uh, he like swore to me that uh, every 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 mature buck that he runs a camera with a like a red flash on gets uh, smart to that 
And he was saying, yeah. dude, I do not run any cameras with, with it has to be the, the proper no glow. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I don't I'm, know. I agree. Cause I have a, a Reconyx camera. That's like, it's very, lo- very low glow, almost invisible. And then I have a couple of, uh, uh, Bushnells that are, you know, considered black flash and yeah. I don't get the deer looking at them. Um, so yeah, I should probably start transitioning kind of all my cameras to that, to be honest with you, but I tend to buy a lot of those cheap ones from like, yeah, Walmart, right. you know, like the, the old Tascos or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, if that's the case, you know, I just try to, I try to get them up high and angle them down, but then, you know, then you're missing kind of some field of view there too, but. Yep. That's just, he, he was real concerned about it. He was, uh, we were, he had some new trail cameras there and he was like, when I met him, he had him in his uh, a room and was like testing him to make sure he couldn't see any kind of flash at him before he'd go put him out. So, um, I thought, it, I thought that was, was interesting. All right, yeah. let's, let's move on to your, your next point in that article, Andy, so we don't run out of time. Yep. Um, your next point was focus on areas close by. Yeah. So, um, that was kind of along the lines of, um, you know, when I'm talking about kind of my home turf, right? So for me, my home turf is, you know, some of the Southern counties in Michigan into some of the Northern counties of Ohio, you know, there's kind of a radius there. I consider all of that my home turf. I can get to it, you know, in a couple hours, you know, probably less than a couple hours. Um, I can kind of keep an eye on them scouting wise, uh, fairly easy. It's kind of on my commute to work. So, um, I've, I've worked hard to learn those spots and then, you know, maybe knock on some doors and get some permissions along my commute. So I actually live about 50 minutes from where I work. And then there's another drive that I have from my, my home to where my daughter goes to school. So I've, I've tried to find spots kind of somewhat along those routes that are easy for me to do a quick scout, a quick glass, a quick camera check. Um, and I'm able to kind of, I'm able to get more recent information by doing that, you know, like on the, on the drive, you know, if I can get out of work a little early, I can get out and do, you know, a quick walk through an area or pull a card or maybe get somewhere closer to home or closer to, you know, my daughter's school, if I'm picking her up in the evening and do a glass or something like that. Um, so it's, it's, it's made it easier for me to be efficient around home because I focus on those areas. Um, but unfortunately for me, um, that doesn't, it's not necessarily the best hunting. Um, so I'm kind of giving up better hunting that I could drive you know, maybe a couple counties over, or even some, some properties or something over there that might have better trophy potential, but I'm giving that up to hunt areas that I'm, I can get more familiar with and can be out there more and can be out there quicker. Um, and I, and I may usually able to find some, you know, decent bucks kind of in those areas, you know, year to year. So, um, that's not really, you know, obviously it's, it's different. Like when I travel, like I travel a lot, and I try to be efficient when I'm, I'm out of state too. But when I wrote that, um, I was thinking more along the lines of kind of at home, you know, you know, yeah. a handful 
dozen, you know, two dozen spots, you know, between public land and maybe some permission spots or whatever you can, whatever you can utilize um, kind of in that route of, you know, home, work, you know, where you travel to, or where you're driving on a day-to-day basis. Um, I cover a lot of ground in the car every day. So um, I, I, I drive through, you know, several counties um, and I'm able to do that. Yeah. And that, that's something I've kind of utilized the last, uh, I don't know, probably five years is I've been like looking for properties that like deer hunters wouldn't be really interested in. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might be just like a, the, the property I killed my buck last year, it, it was just a field, a cornfield, and it had like one little ditch line in it. And that was the whole property that was all that was in there. And I knew the farmer, I knew he kind of had leased or he, he let, he let other people lease some of his ground. And I was like, I bet nobody wants that property. And I went and I called him and, and asked him, he's like, yeah, nobody goes down there. You can, you can hunt there if you want. Kind of like one of those deals. And there ended up being a couple shooters that lived mm-hmm. in that ditch line down there. Um, and, and the same thing a few years back, I killed a nice deer on like a little 20 acre piece that, you know, this guy's not getting his door knocked on for deer hunters either, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I would second that, that, uh, that, focus on areas close by because initially initially i was you know when i you i worked till four o'clock and i was i was just scrambling to find places within driving distance because my my, we have a lot of public but it's all like a 30 30 minute drive for me to get to a lot of my public land spots so Mm -hmm. that's like pushing it kind of after work you know yeah um so these quick like 10 minutes down the road spots were super important yeah Um, yeah uh, people will never believe this, but I hunt, I mean, around home, everything I hunt is, is garbage land. I mean, it, it all is, it's all, it's all land that people either don't think to hunt or they don't want to hunt or everybody hunts it. Um, yeah. and, uh, but you know, like you said, those, those spots like that, that people kind of overlook and don't think of, you know, when, like when the crops are up, those can be good spots. Those are, those are the types of spots that'll hold a couple bucks, you know, a little small group of bucks early season. I have a spot like that down in Ohio right now. I've been, I've glassed them the last two, uh, or I'm sorry, twice in the last week and a half. And, um, there's two shooters in there, one for sure. And, uh, they are, far away from the woodlot where everybody's hunting. Yeah. They can't be seen from the road. They're bedding um, pretty much in the middle of a field that's um, half corn and half beans, and they're right on the edge. And uh, they very well could be gone and dispersed by the, by the opener. But it's really going to depend. Like, I have, I have some familiarity with that area, and if that crops are still up, there's a good chance that, uh, one or more of those bucks will still be in that area because that's how it was last year. Um, but it's, it, it varies year to year, whether they have those crops out, um, early, a lot of times they're cutting them like as the season is opening, it's just a, that part of Ohio, um, you know, all of Northern Ohio is, is pretty open and there's a lot of crop to put in and there's a lot of crop to get out. So they try to get started on it very early, as early as possible. And I have been out there multiple times opening day and they are running combines all around me. Um, or even like I've glassed, um, 
I've glassed two days before the opener, you know, a big shooter buck coming out and I see exactly what he's doing. And I'm like, all right, I'm slipping in there opening night and I'll come back opening night and the field's plowed. <laughs> you know, it's like, so it's just, it's kind of one of those ones you have to kind of capitalize when they're there and, and kind of quick. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I hit a lot of those spots that people don't think to hunt and, and they're typically not great spots, but sometimes you can find a little corner, you know, of it that's good. Or if it's a spot that's, you know, if say it's a permission spot, but they let everybody hunt, like there's a lot of spots like that, that I hunt. It's essentially, it's like public land. And in some cases it's even more pressured than public land, but there's often a little spot, you know, because they're, you know, everything over there looks kind of good. They're all hunting over there and there might be a little, corner that they push deer to or around them and that's the stuff i've been able to to capitalize on more it seems like um but yeah i mean it's just uh a lot of times too those spots that aren't they're they're not premium deer spots but there might be a short window where they're good it might be like that example i just told you or it might be um you know during the rut there's a you know a handful of does that are that are in that area and you can slip in during the rut because it's such a wide open area there's going to be bucks kind of cruising through there you know for a week or two during november and if you can get in there in the right time you get a crack at something but it's kind of it's kind of learning those you know learning when they're good because they're definitely not good all year um but you can you can find these little windows when they kind of heat up and when you really learn that and there's a good buck in there you know, and you can slip in there. You got good access. That's when you can be real efficient. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's the thing about those properties is like, you got to realize it, there just needs to be one good one in there. Right. Like, yep. um, and that's all, that's all it takes. That, that property that I killed that deer on last year, the, this summer I was sitting in my office here and I can actually see it out my window here. And, uh, I looked over and there was a, I had the, the farmer had an excavator out there. And he, I could notice he's like pushing in trees and I'm like, Oh crap. I had a trail camera out there still. And I called him and I'm like, Hey, are you, are you like pushing in that little waterway or something? It had, it had like maybe a dozen trees in it. He's like, yeah, we're getting ready to burn it all. I'm like, I said, I'm going to run out there and grab my trail camera. He's like, yeah, you better get that. <laughs> all right, so that, that spot's gone now, but yeah, there, there are some other trees on the waterway, but it's, it's the waterway is the property line and the trees are on the opposite landowners line so i have to do some calling around to make sure i can sit there still if 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 there is something in there but yeah uh such is life yeah um all right let's talk about being versatile that was your kind of last point in in the article is to be more versatile as a deer hunter and and man we we i feel like we live in the world of one track mind people anymore um whether it be you're a saddle hunter, you're a tree stand hunter, you use trail cameras, you don't use trail cameras, and the list goes on and on, mechanicals, fixed blade. And uh, I think I think we do uh, get stuck in these bubbles that hurt us as deer hunters. And, and uh, as far as being, um, you know, successful. So what, what, I guess, what did you mean by being more versatile, Andy? Um, efficient. Yeah, I meant um being versatile in regards to um having you know having the confidence to um apply 
different tactics and different styles of hunting, whether that's hunting on the ground, whether that's still hunting, whether that's utilizing a decoy, whether that's calling, um, you know, I feel like, um, you're right. There's a lot of guys out there that kind of get develop a, a, you know, a kind of a style or a one track mind that has served them well, you know, over Mm -hmm. the years, they've been able to accumulate a, I know a lot of, you know, nice bucks, but they have, they live and die by that style. And, um, while it may be a very good and reliable style, it's not always the best in my opinion. Um, maybe not always the best play every, every day, um, you know, in every situation and every set of conditions. So, Um, by being versatile and by being able to, you know, change up the tactic, change up the, the, the playbook on a day-to-day basis, you know, looking at the situation in front of you, the set of conditions, um, you know, you might, or I might opt to do something that is a little more outside the box or that I think sets up well for this situation, um, where other guys might, um, you know, they might choose to sit out that day or they might choose to still use the same um, tactic that is their go-to, you know, or whatever it is. Um, But I feel like by, by being a more versatile hunter, by being able to um, apply different tactics and feeling comfortable doing different things, you are, are a little more deadly when maybe the conditions or the situation is, isn't textbook. Um, I know that's very vague, (laughs) but, uh, you know, so for instance, like I, um, every year I do, um, you know, hunt off the ground, you know, a lot of times, you know, I, I go in there with a saddle on a platform and I don't really know necessarily what I'm going to do. I might find, um, some fresh sign and it might seem like it's really hot and it's, it's fresh and it looks like good buck sign. And I get this feeling that this is the spot I need to be. So I might set up in a tree and do a, you know, a traditional hunt like that. I might never find that, but I might follow some sign back in and I'm more like kind of still hunting and, and scouting. And I might work through a, a huge area doing that the whole time. And it might lead to um, bumping a deer which I'm fine with and, and, you know, bumping a, a good buck. And now I'm, you know, I'm in the game with that buck. It might lead to um, finding new areas. It might be, lead to um, finding something or seeing something that I am able to capitalize, you know, down the road, you know, a year or two down the road. Um, you know, if it's windy or rainy, I like to on, on average be a little more mobile. I like to kind of slip through cover and, and move and i anticipate the deer might be moving less especially if it's raining heavy or especially if it's really high winds but that can hide my noise so i might you know i might still hunt through an area um i might use those conditions to get in way deeper in an area where i know that it's hard to get into on a calm day or a low wind day and and try to get in you know really tight to bedding or where i think these deer are um and then there's there's times where, um, you know, a lot of times where I'm just out there and I'm, I'm glassing and it's, it's more of like a spot and stalk type situation. I'm, I'm trying to glass and see something and, and 
and move in on it. And I might even be carrying um, my decoy. I do that a lot. And I've, I've, I've shot bucks with it. And uh, it's a deadly tactic. Um, it's not something that works every time, but it's something that works when the time is right, when the setup is right. And I've learned to kind of recognize or at least get a, a feeling of when um, that might be a good option. Um, and a lot of guys don't have that in their playbook. You know, they just don't. It, uh, they're, they're missing you talk, talk, Go ahead. Could you, talk, could you talk about decoys a little bit more? Because, like, that's something that never hardly gets brought up. Um, yeah. Is, yeah. Is how, how do you use them? And like, when's, when's the proper time, like you said earlier? Um, I've <laughs> – so um it really just depends you know so like last year um i had a a really good encounter um it was in that area of ohio where i was i was kind of telling you about before where it's 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 really wide open and i was trying to hunt this really big typical there was a there was a a tree that i had glassed at him and several other bucks coming by um, leading up to the season, you know, three or four times a week, they're, they're kind of walking by this little hedgerow. And I was like, that's the spot I need to be in to kill them. Well, I, I didn't have the right wind all the whole first week of season. I didn't have that right wind. So I was scouting, basically glassing from, um, you know, 300, 400 yards in the opposite direction where the wind was in my face. And I was just literally on the edge of corn looking over beans and then there was a like a drainage ditch like you were talking about you know on my right and i was set up there to glass and observe but i brought the decoy because i knew these bucks are in a bachelor group they're you know they're comfortable around other bucks right now they're 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 curious they're moving in daylight um and they were out there but you know all the bucks were out there and i i set that thing up in fact i think i have a picture of it or maybe I posted it in on the Instagram story or whatever, but you could see like the corn and then my decoy. Well, that night I had a, I had a really good buck come all the way three, 400 yards. He broke out of the bachelor group and slowly made his way. It was two of them actually, but one shooter and he slowly made his way all the way to me. And then uh, when he got within about 40 yards he crossed the ditch because my wind was kind of going like this across the ditch. So he crossed the ditch to circle downwind. Well, when he did that, I was in the corn and the, just the, the kind of half moon shape that he took, he kind of got at an angle where I couldn't shoot out of the corn. Like I had some lanes out in front, had the wind been more in my face. I think I would have killed him because it was at an angle. He had a good angle to get downwind. So right there, I mean, just a little bit of a different setup, a little bit of a, you know, knocking a few corn stalks down or whatever. So I could shoot across that ditch. I would have had them. Um, mm. But I, I had that feeling. I knew that was a good setup, you know, safe away, put it out. They're far away. If they're interested, they'll come. Um, if they're not no harm, no foul or 300 yards away, they just think it's another deer, whatever. But I, but I know that time of year is a really good time um, to get, a positive decoy reaction. It's more out of curiosity. Like who is that? You know, yeah. it's aggression thing necessarily, although they're out there sparring and they're, you know, they're establishing a pecking order. Um, and then the other, honestly, it can be used anytime, but, um, the, you know, I think it really heats up kind of towards that, like late October, November, especially, 
Um, I shot a buck probably five. Ago. I just told the story um, the other day. And this is, this is a story I haven't told that often, but I don't know why it's a freaking awesome story, but <laughs> uh, it was late. It was like November 4th or something. It was late. I mean, there was 30 minutes of daylight left and I was in my car, you know, driving home and I'm like, I'm going to, I'm just going to pull, you know, pull. I had a spot I could hunt over here. I'm going to just get out there. I'm going to put the decoy on the bow. This is a different one. So I have one, it's a heads up decoy and I have it on a stake. Um, it's one of those, uh, like wire fence holder uh, stakes. I have it spray painted brown. It's awesome to, to use like this. I can put it in the ground. I can shoot behind it. It's great for that. This other one is called, uh, I think it's called ultimate predator, but it attaches to the front of your bow and there's a little hole. Yeah. So I, that one, so I just threw that thing on my bow and I'm just, I, I just haul butt out there. Like literally like, I'm walking the edge of the woods and then this it drops down into this this marshy swamp and i know the deer tend to come out of the swamp into the the woods and i knew there was a a grassy field like an overgrown field up there and i just started you know walking like this and i'm not i'm just gonna cover some ground you know before it gets dark there's 30 minutes if a deer sees me you know i'm just gonna have some fun with it whatever and uh, i get up to that there's like 15 minutes of daylight left and I get up to that um, overgrown field and all of a sudden I see a, a doe just bust out of that marsh across that field. And I was like, I got my, my uh, released on and I'm just like this. And all of a sudden a nice buck steps out and he, he walks into that field and he immediately locks onto me and he bristles up like this and he starts coming in. He's doing like the sidestep and uh, he gave me a, a good angle right there and I ended up shooting him. And, oh, man. Uh, yeah, it was cool. So like, that's how I use them. Um, I do have a, a 3d decoy. I almost never use that. Um, but I have killed bucks over that too, including my biggest buck, believe it or not in Michigan. Um, and, uh, it's just more of a pain to yeah. carry out there, you know, and then you have it in the open and you got to get down after dark and carry it out. Like it doesn't really, wild, but that real mobile decoy you know, have it strapped to my pack, pull it out when I need it. Um, it's just a fun way to hunt. Um, I had a, a couple of friends that have been really deadly with that. And um, it was, uh, I am like, I am a, a, a very much a, a student of this game. So if I see somebody that is a, a good hunter and, and getting it done and he's a killer and he's using some sort of method or tactic that, I'm not, I want to learn it. You know, I want to pick his brain. I want to learn as much as I can. Then I want to go apply it and prove myself that I have that skill set. you know, obtain it, get good with it. And now I have it. And, yeah. and I've always felt that way. I've never been like, oh, I just hunt beds, scout beds and hunt beds. Or I, you know, set, you know, scrapes. And I always sit this scrape and, you know, eventually the buck comes by. I just, my, my mind doesn't work like that. I want to be versatile. I want to have a big playbook um, so that I can pull that out when the conditions feel right or, or just when I want to, when I want to switch it up. You know, I like right. having that feeling that um, I, I once told my, my friend this, and I don't know if this is true, but I, I believe this. If you told me, Andy, you can only still hunt with your bow this year that's all you can do um i have i feel like i would still go out and kill 
three, four, five bucks. I do. Yeah. I just I do. If you told me, Andy, you can only use the decoy this year, I feel like I could still do that. You know, I, yeah. I do. It, it may not be true, but I have that confidence because I've done it. Um, I'm not afraid to do it. Um, and I, and I, I feel like I, I know when to pull that out or I have these, these feelings of when it would be effective and, and when it wouldn't be. So I don't know. Um, I guess that's what I meant by versatile, um, yeah. as far as like tactics, but also, um, uh, versatility in, um, being comfortable and effective in different types of, uh, terrain, you know, like a lot of guys are, you know, masters in the swamps and marshes or masters in hill country or masters in farm or masters in river bottom. And I've made it a point uh, throughout my life to hunt all of those uh, pretty extensively and, and be able to get good, um, be able to recognize um, the good, the good areas in those and, and the good pinch points and bedding. Um, where does bed, where bucks like to bed, how they like to use that terrain, how the wind, um, how the wind behaves in that type of terrain. You know, I'm still, I, f- I feel like that's a, a hard one to master, but I'm, I've certainly learned a lot more than what I used to know. Um, but, th- but versatility in that too, you know, the yeah. having that to, to tackle that, you know, that big woods flat ground or, you know, that, that marshy swamp um, and being able to look at a map or, or go back on your scouting or, or get a trail camera and kind of look at that and, and have that confidence to, to know, or, or at least with pretty good accuracy, figure out where that buck is living and probably where he's moving and, and that kind of thing. So that's kind of what I meant by versatility. No, it all makes sense. Um, how much do you, how much weight do you put on weather or, uh, like the moon and things like that, Andy, you know, I, I know obviously you're talking about, um, having limited time to hunt. Do you kind of plan trips or hunting time around any of that kind of stuff? Yeah. Um, yeah, I do. Um, yeah, I, I, I feel like, I feel like even the worst conditions, can give you an opportunity. Um, you know, even when it's hot and windy, um, you know, I feel like that gives you, you know, that gives you an opportunity to, you know, slip in tighter to bedding. Um, when it's really, really hot, when it's super hot, deer tend to bed in more predictable locations. You know, they like those cool bottoms. Uh, a lot of times they're near water. Um, you know, so like every set of conditions kind of does give you an opportunity. So I don't necessarily avoid them, but I might alter my tactic a little bit or my approach. Uh, but yeah, I would say on average, you know, um, of course, I, I like to see. Um, oh, oh, you got- you're back now. Yep. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Did Did you hear any of that? Yeah, you, uh, I think you were good up until just the last couple words there, Andy. Okay, okay. So yeah, um, yeah, I like to see drops in the temperature, and and uh, you know, whenever I see that, whenever I see a good cold front, I'm like, okay, you know, I need to be out there, especially yeah. like, you know, an early season cold front, a mid October cold front. Those are killer. You know, they are. The bucks start moving. They they 
they kind of get, you know, a little more riled up. They're out there scraping and, and covering a little more ground than they were when it was like stagnant, warm weather, you know, the week before that late October, you know, cold fronts are, are dynamite. We, and we know the rut can be too. Um, but I don't necessarily let it stop me from, from hunting and definitely not stop me from scouting, but I would be more apt to take, you know, a warm, a warm, hot, warm, cold, uh, calm day. You know, I'd, I'd rather take a day like that off and, you know, do some family stuff. Um, yeah. maybe some chores around the house and just kind of give it all a rest. I don't even want to be out there scouting too much on days like that, where it's like warm and crunchy and you're just leaving more scent. Um, but hot and windy, I don't mind. Um, you know, cold, windy, rainy, like I don't mind those at all. In fact, I'll, a lot of times when I see a good rain, I'll, I'll use that as a good scouting day. And I'm really paying attention to when that rain stops, especially get into like the mid kind of that October, well, really any time of year, but, uh, you know, especially that kind of like mid to late October, you know, you can get a good rain and then you get that kind of tapering off in the evening. It can be some really good movement there. Um, as far as the moon, I do very much believe that the moon uh, influences movement, but I feel like I can observe that more in the summer months when hunting pressure is not a factor, when the food sources are consistent. And, you know, you can watch a, a bean field and, um, you know, you can, you could go out there multiple evenings and I've done this, you know, and I've seen the deer come out, you know, earlier and earlier and earlier. And you kind of, you're correlating it with the, that moon overhead. Um, I do believe, I do believe that that um, influences movement a little bit, but I think you see it in the summer months because hunting pressure is not a factor food sources aren't changing dramatically. So you're not getting a lot of deer, you know, going off mm -hmm. beans into acorns. Um, once I think you, I think when you start introducing hunting pressure and leaf falling off and deer feeling a little more, uh, you know, less safe, a little more on edge, um, you know, acorns start dropping, this apple trees over here dropping and all of a sudden, like the field you're watching, like the deer aren't out. Um, I, th I think all that stuff kind of, I don't know. I, I, I really haven't been able to, to, to really count on that, like during the hunting season with the exception, um, of, you know, kind of that full moon, um, you know, either that new moon or that full moon in those days kind of surrounding it during the rut in the midday. I, I do, I, I went through all my bucks. This was years ago. So I had less bucks at the time, but I still had a bunch. Um, but I went through, and I went through every buck I had killed and every big buck sighting, and I correlated it with moon overhead and moon underfoot times. And I, it was like, yeah, I mean, it was like, I would say 60% accurate. I remember talking about it with my friends, and they were making fun of me and saying I was a big nerd. Um, <laughs> but if my daughter was young, baby, and, you know, I was stuck at home, and I didn't have anything else to do. Yeah, so that's what I would right. do. And, uh, but what I did see was like, I had a lot of midday kills during the rut. And when I started looking at those, I was like, wow, you know, that was two days before the full moon that was on the full moon. That was like right smack dab on the new moon. Like, which is when you're, when you're, uh, the moon is overhead and underfoot right at midday. 
whether it was coincidence, I don't know. Um, I don't hardly even look at it anymore. Yeah. Um, but I studied it a lot. I thought I saw some correlation outside the hunting season, inside the hunting season. Not enough to, to sway me, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Something else that's interesting about you, Andy, haven't you like, uh, uh, logged all of your hunts since you started hunting? Haven't you like, or, or journaled them, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, yeah. I'm, that's cool. It you know, started hunting in like 97, I think. Um, I was, I started late. I started at 18, 17 or 18. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I just, um, I was always kind of like a, a write it down guy. Like I would lift and I'd write down my whole workout, you know, like he did bench press this way, you know, this many reps or whatever. Um, I would write down like my stats and football and stuff. I was always like, kind of like jot it down kind of guy. So I did that with, with hunting and, uh, it's been cool. You know, it, it certainly has helped me, uh, kind of keep track of things and I can look back and, you know, I always have the location. I always have the set of conditions, the wind direction, wind speed, temperature, where I was sitting, um, what, you know, what the conditions were like, partly cloudy, sunny, um, rainy, and then what I saw, what the deer did, where they came out of, where they went, you know, what bucks I saw. And, um, that's when I, that helped me, um, really, um, kind of before trail cameras helped me figure out that some of these areas, um, tend to heat up during the same time every year. I could look back at, you know, 2000, 2001, 2002. I was like, oh man, like, I wasn't seeing squat in these spots, you know, October 2nd, 3rd, 8th, 10th, but right around the 16th, I saw my first three and a half year old buck. And then on the 20th, I saw a two and a half and a three and a half. And then on the 25th, I saw seven bucks. One of them was a big mature eight, you know, and then it's like, all of a sudden you start seeing these like windows where these, these areas tend to heat up. And then I could replicate that you know i could i could kind of put that in the back of my head and um i knew that was a deadly tactic and then you know i i quickly found out that can vary year to year especially like with food changes crop rotations acorn drop that kind of thing hunting pressure um but you know all things being equal um that's been a huge a huge factor for me as as far as like putting me in the right area at the right time of year or even, you know, with individual bucks kind of learning what they do and where they want to be in these certain windows, um, it gives me kind of a leg up on where to look and when to look and maybe when to slip in and kill them. Yeah. Super unique and, uh, kudos for you to uh, keep up on that. Cause I've tried yeah. keeping journals like over the years and I'm always like, I do a crappy job sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, let's answer just a couple questions and then we can get off here. There's a couple of good yeah. ones. Yeah, I'm um, good on. Uh, you know, okay. Okay. Uh, Justin Tanner had a good one, and I I picked this one, guys. There's a few people asking about hill country stuff, and uh, Justin asked, uh, "Andy, can you give us three tips for hill country hunting?" Okay. I uh, well, first I'm going to say is I'm I'm no hill country master. Um, when I have hill country. Uh, when I, when I want hill country advice, I go to, um, guys like Justin Wright, uh, Joel Singer, uh, Nathan Killen, 
Um, but I've hunted hill country plenty and I've always done well. Um, but it's always, always been during the rut. Um, mm -hmm. the only time I've ever hunted hill country early season was a little bit in Kentucky, which I've done well, but it was a mix of hill country and ag where I could utilize glass. Um, so, uh, I guess my three, um, one of them would be, uh, absolutely. Um, these are all going to be geared towards the rut, um, because that's, that's kind of when I've, I've hunted hill country, but make sure you are in your tree from that 10 o'clock to three o'clock frame. That's when I see a very large portion of my big bucks and probably nearly all of my kills have come in that window. Hmm. Um, especially in the hills and uh I, I i think you know it lends itself to you know the the bucks like to bed down the does come in from wherever the acorn ridges the the, the far away croplands or wherever the food sources is and they filter back into those hills well the bucks know that you know by 9 30 10 o'clock all the does are back to bed and that's when they get up and that's when they cover ground and uh so you've got to be in that I think if you are sitting till 10 and then you're walking out, you are missing, you're missing the, the best part of the day. Um, I would say that, I would say that for the rut in general, but especially the hills. Um, I just, that's, that's what I find. That's what I see. Um, the, I found that it seems like to me, um, and I guess this could, this could be, uh, rut, it could be, you know, outside of the rut, but I, I tend to hunt like, um, in some, some of the spots I like to hunt kind of like right where a drainage kind of goes up into a ridge and then it tops out. Um, and it creates kind of like a, a bowl, you know, in there almost like, uh, I've heard like Zach Barrenball call it like stadium bedding. Um, but it creates kind of like a, a bowl and I I've hunted in there and I've had good luck in there. Um, and I've, I've, I've had um, good mature buck activity in there, and I've, I've found that they like to bed in there too. And I think part of the reason is um, it swirls so much. And I think they like to be in there because they can smell all around. So I've, I've had good luck in there hunting, kind of going in on like, maybe on like a north side that's shaded where my, my, my uh, thermals might fall, or if I can get the wind kind of blowing down the drainage, kind of, you know, in line with the, the ravine coming up, there's certain, um, there's certain spots where, I'm sorry, certain set of conditions where you can hunt those, but they're incredibly hard to hunt. And when I can't get in them, I like to be just outside them. So like getting deer coming in or, or coming out of them. So it might be like a saddle just off to the side or, um, you know, like a bench that kind of wraps around the other side. I don't, I don't know if that's making sense, but those, those bowls where it swirls in there, it, it, I always, I always seem to, um, get good mature buck pictures in there. I found good bedding in there and I think they like to live in there. Um, and it's, it seems to be a good rut spot too, because right at the top of those drainages, especially if you're on a ridge system that has a lot of bedding points, I always talk about how, I like to focus on ridge systems that have um, a lot of topography, like a lot of 
elevation changes, a lot of points, a lot of bowls. Um, kind of looks like you know, like a, a spider, you know, going out all different types of directions because it 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 holds more deer. It has more bedding opportunities. It holds more deer. It's going to draw more bucks in during the rut, as opposed to like a long, featureless ridge. Um, I don't even I don't even mess with those really. Um, and then the other thing is I would look for wide bottoms. So like um, a lot of times, you know, you you'll hunt hill country and it'll it'll kind of come down and it's real sharp and the sides are steep. Those are really tough to hunt in the bottom. Um, I think you'd have to come in late when the thermals are, are really dropping and you got to stay low. Um, you could probably do it then. But when you get a wide bottom that said, you know, say it's 80, you know, 100 yards wide, um, you know, somewhere in that range, um, you can get away with, uh, especially, um, sorry, I should have mentioned this first. I like to look for areas where, um, it has multiple uh, points dumping down into the same general area. So I've heard of guys, you know, call these like thermal hubs. And I, I guess, yeah, that's what they are, I suppose. I've always, and I wrote about a spot like this because I hunted it in Iowa um, several times. And my buddy hunted it several times. And we took multiple bucks out of there the first sit. And I always labeled it as, as a travel hub. So every time you have, you know, you have these ridges all around you and every time there's a point dropping down, to me, that's a trail. Like they like to travel down those points, either whether right on the point, right off the side or whatever. So you get a point coming down here, a point coming down here, a point coming down here. And you look on a topo map and you see them all kind of dumping down in the same area. Well, right down in that middle is where the, everything crosses. And I always called that a travel hub, similar to like if you're hunting, you know, flat big woods and you see a spot where six seven trails come in and they all cross you know in one spot same type of you know it just puts the odds in your favor well when you can find that in a wider bottom you can get on the bottom and then you can have your wind blowing down the main drainage and kind of blowing you out so you have to you have to come up a certain way and, and get on there uh get in there with the wind in your face and that's a great spot for the rut um we we hunted that spot uh you know several times and we we've killed some great bucks out of there and a lot of times it's the first sit you know it's just it's one of those rut spots where the bucks just cruise through they can gather so much information in that one spot and that's what i look for a lot with any type of rut hunt where is the spot where the bucks can gather the most information with their nose um and it could be crossing a trail a, a trail system where a lot of them come together it could be an area where scent pools. It could be an area like that where all these uh, ridges dump down in the same area and they all cross down in that bottom. There's usually a scrape down there, but that's a good spot for, you know, bucks coming off these ridges and going up the next one. Um, and they can gather a lot of information in that one spot. So it just draws them in. And another one is, and I don't, this has kind of been something I keyed in on a few times and I haven't talked about it uh, other than my closest friends. But so if you have, just for general purposes, I'm gonna make this very simple, but like imagine you have a ridge over here and you have a ridge over here, right? And you have, this ridge has one, two, three, four points going down into the bottom. 
right? So you have you have four right there dumping down into the same generator. Well, this ridge only has one point. Okay, so I see that and it catches my eye as like a travel hub. Well, I'm going to focus on that one point because anything coming off that ridge is going to go down the one and then it can spider off and go up any of those four. Anything coming off this ridge is going to come down one of those four and they're going to go up that one. Mm. So that's something I look for in hill country um, during the rut when I know the bucks are moving, when I know they're covering ground. Um, I look for that sp situation specifically where I have a good ridge system here, has a lot of bedding, a lot of topography, a lot of bowls. And then they're trying to get over to this ridge system, or it could be even the next one over, but they got that one point to go up. And that's something uh, something I caught on to because I, I ran a trail camera on the one. And uh, I got so many bucks going up and down that point. And I had, um, I was hunting a little bit on the other, the other side, um, kind of bouncing around in those points. And it was like, you know, a deer here, a deer there, but that, that trail camera was just hot. It made a mock scrape there and, uh, it just got torn up. So that's something mm -hmm. to keep on. I haven't heard a lot of people talk about that, but it's, uh, it's something that I, I pick up really quick on a topo. That's a, that's a good hot tip from Andy May in Hill Country. So. Dude, let's get off here. Uh, sorry we didn't get to everybody's question tonight, but uh, I, I got it. Are you Are you sure? Yeah, man. Okay, yeah. we can do a, we can do a couple more. Then, if you're good with. Okay. All right. Here's a question. Uh, if you could go back and talk to yourself when you first started hunting, what is the most important ad advice you would give yourself? Um. Hmm. Well, um, the first thing that comes to mind is I would I would teach myself to shoot the bow correctly um you know i developed target panic i've talked about this a lot, a lot. I've, i developed a very bad case of target panic that kind of plagued me um kind of like the middle years um lost you know lost some great deer uh, made some bad shots you know was able to recover a lot of them but just bad shots you know, I was a trigger puncher and, and, uh, you know, just didn't really know any better. I was a good archer. I was a very accurate archer, but, um, developed, you know, the target panic in the high pressure situations. And it, it just cost me, it cost me a lot of heartache. And, um, I fought through it and still, you know, got the kills a lot of times, but man, I missed some good bucks and wounded some and, um, you know, it was later on, it was like 2011, 2012, when I, I kind of figured, figured out what it was and I diagnosed it. And then I, you know, changed my whole shot process. Um, and now I'm much more, you know, comfortable and much more reliable in those high pressure situations. But um, that one comes to mind always, like if I could switch something that, you know, from old Andy. Um, another one is... Um, uh i mean there's so many <laughs> yeah <laughs> so many. um another one is you know i i would say don't get caught up in the uh you know the the big trophy high scoring buck thing i i did for a while you know because you see you know guys on youtube or guys on tv and they're, and they're killing you know these 180 inch deer every year and they're you know walking out in the in the food plots and stuff and it's just like 
and it's just it's just not real you know it's not not real for 90 percent of us 99 percent of us and um i think that can really make you feel like um something's missing or you're not good enough or you're doing something wrong and you start comparing yourself to some of those those guys and uh you know there was a time where i was just like you know i just wanted to shoot like these high scoring deer and it's like i'd shoot something that was like you know 140 and i'd be bummed about it i mean it didn't last long but um you know i was never blessed to come from an area that had high scoring deer so I just started targeting, um, you know, the best deer I could find in whatever area I was hunting and, uh, just kind of was made myself happy with that. And, uh, you know, and then, and then I became what I found, what my real love was, was like traveling around and, and finding or hunting new areas, new terrain, places I'd never been, just new challenges and then trying to get it done there. And I think by doing that, it made me a better hunter. Um, I mean, that's, that's when I feel like I'm at my best, you know, you throw me into a new situation where I've never been, no cameras, nothing. And then, Hey, go there. You got a handful of days, try to take a good buck out of there. Um, and that's just kind of what I've learned. Like that's, that's my niche. That's what I like. That's what makes me happy. Um, but yeah, there was a time where I used to get kind of, I don't know, maybe a little bummed out or a little bitter. I mean, it's years ago, but, um, mm-hmm. guys, you know, killing, you know, Boone and Crockett deer every year. And I was just like, then, then you, then, then you start to, you know, now podcasts are interesting and YouTube's interesting. Cause then you start learning more about these guys and you're like, Oh, wait a second. You know, the guy's never left his home state or he's never killed out of his home state. And he hunts a huge, you know, big buck state or, um, you know, he's hunting his own private farm with food plots and stuff, or he's running cell cameras on bait piles. And it's like, okay, you know, not knocking that, but it's a different thing, you know, it's yeah. a different thing. And if they're having fun and they're happy, I'm happy for them. You know, I know those guys grind. I know they work hard, but it, it I think people are starting to catch on. Like there's, there's different ways to do this. And I think the beast crowd, um, you know, guys like me guys like you we are drawn more towards the diy the everyday guy the guy that's scrambling to find a spot to hunt on public land trying to knock door knock on some doors to get some free permission hunting some permission ground that any everybody can hunt and you're just scrambling a lot of times to find a good mature buck you know and when i see guys that are are like that like me like the working class um don't own primo land and they're they're getting it done in tough areas like pennsylvania or wisconsin or new york and then they're traveling to maybe some better states nebraska illinois iowa and they're getting it done there like those are the guys i'm drawn to you know those are the guys i know i can learn from those are the guys i'm rooting for and then the other stuff um i mean i have friends that have those opportunities for like you know every year they're chasing giants and i i'm rooting for them too it's just not not my world it's not most people's world and just you know, understand that i would tell young andy understand that it's different and and things aren't always what they seem and what what guys are making it out to to seem you know yeah. there's a there's a, a more kind of a a different world out there that a lot of us will never experience you know yep 
I think that's a, a great point. And I, I fell in that trap pretty bad, like in my high school years, yep. uh, when you're, you know, you're real impressionable then and, you know, watching monster bucks and all that kind of thing. And you get to where you're, uh, you don't enjoy. I, I, I can remember some seasons through like high school to early college where I, I didn't really enjoy myself. And it, I think it was cause I was putting a lot of pressure on myself. And I, I wounded a lot of deer through those years too. And, um, not that it's those people's fault, you know, but it's, it's just, yeah. Yeah. So real quick, I wanted to say something. I found this really interesting and I'm glad they said it. Um, but the, I was listening to a podcast. I don't remember what podcast it was, but Mark Drury was on there mm -hmm. and he, you know, I, I respect guys that are more forthcoming with the opportunities they have where they hunt. Like I've heard Cam Haynes talk about, like, I'm, you know, I'm hunting, um, you know, wild country outfitters. It's, you know, literally in Utah, it's a, it's a $50,000 elk hunt, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's the best hunting in the world. He's like, but you know, I've, I've worked my way out. This is an opportunity. Like, why wouldn't I do it? He's, he's, he's telling everybody, like, I understand, like, not everybody can do this. This is just mm -hmm. what I'm doing. Respect that, you know, when he's not out there, like not saying where it was or how yeah. much it costs. Um, but the Drury's, um, uh, um, Mark Drury was talking about, he's like, before we bought land in Iowa and before we started managing, um, you know, we were killing 120 inch deer. We were killing 130 inch deer. He goes, dude, if we killed 140 inch deer, we were on cloud nine. Yeah. We were just like the average guy. And you think about that and they, they showed all these, these old pictures um, when, when whoever promoted the podcast and it was, it was showing like Mark and Terry with all these like 125 inch, 115, 140 inch bucks. And it's just like, dude, that's us, you know? Yeah. That's us. That's the working man. That's the guy that's out there grinding, hunting, um, the normal stuff that, that really anybody can access, whether it's public or whether if you were going to go and knock on that door or whatever. And, um, you know, it, it was nice to hear him say that, that what yeah. he's oh, is a, is a different thing. And, uh, you know, back then it was, it was more, they were hunting more like the majority of people can hunt nowadays. Yeah. I, I think I may listen to the same podcast cause I, I remember that too. Yeah. I've always had a lot of respect for Mark Jury. He seems like a very knowledgeable deer hunter and oh, we lost. Yep. Oh. Yep. You, you cut out and came back in, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Andy, man, thanks for uh, hopping on tonight. Yeah. And uh, we appreciate all the knowledge and stuff you, you bring to the table because uh, a guy like you, you really don't have anything to gain from coming on here and talking and, and uh, other than just being nice and helping us out. So, Oh shoot. Um, it was fun. I enjoy, I enjoy doing them when I have time. So it was yep. Thank you. Yep. Well, thanks for taking the time, everybody. Before you leave, hit the subscribe button. If you liked what we're doing and we'll talk to you guys later. Good luck deer hunting. A lot of people are hunting right now. So kill Good one. Luck, guys. See you guys. Bye.